Hey family, thank you for following and trusting the path that led you here. This is Flow Space, Conscious Conversations with J&D. I'm Jerrica. And I'm Deandra. Our discussions will be led by intuition and spirit as we continue to evolve and learn about what it means to live an earthly human experience. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Welcome to Flow Space. I'm Deandra. And I'm Jerrica. <clears throat> nice to meet you guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much for joining us. So today we have international water advocate, speaker, activist, and educator Isabel Friend with us. So um, Isabel, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, I have been studying water since 2009, so about 12 or 13 years now, and teaching about water since 2015, I think, um, and basically just a student and steward and servant of liquid life, liquid consciousness, constantly learning every day, even after 13 years, I'm still learning a little something new every single day, and I'm honored to sit on the board of several water organizations and be a water activist and educator and yeah that's about right. it. So what does being a water activist mean? To me being a water activist means being in service to life. Water is liquid life. There is no life without water and so being in service to life if we want to create a world of thriving ecosystems, a world of, of vivacity and balance and harmony, we have to put water at the center. We have to put water at the forefront of all of our, our activism. Um, and to me, it also means taking whatever it is that you love most, whatever is your purpose and your passion and your drive in this world, and using that in service. So, you know, for example, if you are a writer using that writing in service of life and service of water if you are really passionate about women's rights for example well you know there are a lot of humanitarian scholars who say that women's rights are directly proportional to the rights of water for example or if you are a lawyer you know taking on pro bono cases on on behalf of the rights of water in in watersheds and ecosystems whatever your natural passion and talent is using that in a in a serviceful way, I consider that activism. Wow, that was beautifully said. And I can feel the passion that you have in your work through your response. Um, how did you begin your journey with water? It started, as I said, in 2009. Um, at the time, I was a health coach and a nutritionist. And I was particularly interested in nutrigenomics or the way that nutrition affects our genetic expression. And I was starting to discover that the more we eat wild, undomesticated, non-hybridized food, the, the healthier and more robust and more wild our, our gene expression is. And then I realized that's even more so true for the water that we drink. You know, they, they say you are what you eat, but it's even more true that you are what you drink because we're 70% water by volume, but molecularly, each of us is 99.9% .9 water molecules, which means for every thousand molecules in your body, 999 of them are water. So what we drink is massively influential to our health and specifically 
to our genetic health because our genes are actually held in their in their chiral structure by highly structured water molecules. You only have a, a double helix of your DNA because of this backbone of water molecules. So I started drinking exclusively wild harvested water. I would go out and forage and wildcraft for the water instead of drinking the very treated, domesticated, processed water that that most of us are all familiar with. And that absolutely and completely transformed my entire experience of being human mentally, physically, emotionally. Uh, it was subtle, but absolutely profound. And um, I've never been the same since then. And when I started to experience <laughs> that intracellularly, I was like, wow, there's something here. So I started to look into it. And that's when I discovered the work of Victor Schauberger, who was, uh, they call him the water wizard, but basically he was this water savant, this water genius from the the late 1800s and early 1900s. Brilliant, brilliant. And that's when I realized water really holds the keys and the solutions to all of humanity's toughest questions. And we have barely scratched the meniscus of understanding what water is, much less what is possible when we start cultivating a relationship of communion and reciprocity with that water. So that's kind of how I got started back in 2009. Yeah. And on a personal level I can relate like I just began this water uh, journey like Deandra as well we're very Mm -hmm. new into researching the water and I never knew that there was such another world out there surrounding water it's fascinating and you made a good point about like the quality of the water that we drink because for you know all of my life I was under the impression like oh just drink water that's all you need. Just drink your eight cups of water a day and you're good. But it's so far beyond that. So can mm-hmm. you um, educate us a little further about the quality of water we're drinking and how it impacts our health? Absolutely. Yeah, there are a lot of perspectives that we can look at it from. We can look at it from an elemental perspective in the sense that, you know, our bodies need all five elements to thrive and water also needs all five elements to be healthy. We can look at it from the perspective of water's life cycle. So just like we as bodies of water, you know, we need a gestation phase. We need a healthy childhood. You know, we we grow into maturity. There's also a big distinction between mature and immature water. Water also has a lifestyle of uh, a life cycle of gestation all the way through uh, being elderly. Um, we can look at it from the perspective of, um, you know, basically water is a living being, and so what what our needs are as living beings are very similar to what what water's needs are but i think that the main distinction that just to kind of simplify it would be there's a big difference between water that actively dehydrates you a lot of people don't realize that water can in fact be dehydrating and that's the water that most people are drinking and that would be for example distilled and reverse osmosis water because it is highly unstructured and it's been robbed of all of its electrolytes and minerals um, and its microbiome and all of these things that make water a healthy well-rounded being instead it's a very processed denatured water and that is what hydrologists call an aggressive solvent it can actually leach minerals from your body over time, which of course is dehydrating over time. And so um, 
that would fall into the, the category of dehydrating water, also tap water. If uh, it contains things like fluoride and chlorine, those are also dehydrating chemicals that dehydrate us over time. And all of these things can lead to issues like diuresis, heart disease, um, arthritis, all kinds of things in the long term. Not to mention the fact that dehydration has been shown to be at the root of chronic inflammation, acidification, anxiety, stress, depression, all of these issues that are really rampant in society. So that's the water that most people are familiar with. The second category of water is water that satisfies thirst, right? So water that is somewhat hydrating. So this would be um, like well water, for example, or water that um, maybe some bottled spring waters can be this way, um, glass bottled spring waters, for example. These waters don't necessarily have a lot of vitality, but they do have a more balanced mineral profile, so they're not hungry and they're not aggressive. They're balanced, but they're just kind of sleepy. They're just kind of comatose in a way, so the, the molecular bonding is a little bit sluggish, so to speak. Um, and then the third type of water is water that imparts life. So it doesn't dehydrate you. It doesn't just satisfy your thirst. It is actually the vessel of life force energy. Water is a conductor. It's literally a, a conductor of prana, of mana, of chi. And um, a big part of this has to do with the structure of the water and how crystalline the water is. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the temperature of water, the movement patterns of the water. Um, and, and it's, again, it just it's a balanced uh, living profile. So I would say those are the three main distinctions. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I had no idea that water could be hydrating. So that's a first for me. But it resonates a lot with my experience of feeling um, insatiable with water and how different my experiences are now with the water. It really um, affirms that, you know, what I was feeling is valid because I was questioning, like, how could this be? So mm -hmm. to really hear um, the description and the reasoning behind that is really cool. And um, I think that speaks to like um, intuition. And I feel that plays a role in like leading us to the things that we end up discovering, researching. So um, thank you for that. So in speaking with the water, um, your relationship with the water in the previous um, accounts that I've, I've listened to you, so I really enjoyed your work. Um, I hear you speak many times of drinking water out of a copper container. So that's not a practice that I, I personally practice or strongly recommend. Um, okay. Drinking out of copper is an Ayurvedic practice. Um, it's part of the, a practice called Ushapan, which is drinking lukewarm water first thing upon rising out of a copper vessel. Mm -hmm. um, and they recommend copper because it helps to give some ions to the water. Um, and different bodies have different experiences of this. Some people are really sensitive to copper. Um, for example, if you have a copper IUD, you probably don't want to drink out of a copper vessel. Your body, you know, is probably already relatively saturated with that. Also, the quality of the copper vessel makes a huge difference. If the copper isn't mitigated with some amount of silver in there, then it's not, you know, going to be really great for the body. It's going to be just a little bit too strong. Um, 
And personally, it makes me nauseous. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't do it. Um, but, you know, I, like I said, I, I know people who swear by it. It also kind of depends on your dosha, your Ayurvedic dosha. But I do think that the vessel that we keep our water in is enormously important because not only is the vessel that you keep your water in sort of like a, a portable water altar that affects the way you see and interact with the water. It's like it's like feng shui for the water in a sense. And if you invest in a really nice quality vessel, then you're just naturally going to have more, um, more respect and reverence when you interact with that water. And it's really the emotional connection to water that water responds to the most. But also because the quality of the vessel can make a big difference in the way that the water is able to maintain its structure. Because typically when water is stagnant, it will start to destructure. It'll start to lose some of that crystallinity. But there are certain kinds of vessels that will help it to keep the structure. For example, um, on my site, waterislife.shop, I have a ton of different vessels that, that I recommend. One of them is Myron glass. So it's a very, very dark glass that only lets through one very specific and beneficial wavelength of the light spectrum. I think it was developed somewhere in Germany or or in Eastern Europe. And that particular um, wavelength of the light spectrum is enormously healing and beneficial. In fact, if you get Myron glass and you keep your leftovers in there, your leftovers will stay good practically forever. So it's also really great for, for the water. Um, there's also an incredible company called Leela Quantum. I have their bottles on my site as well. And their, um, the metal is charged with quantum energy. So it's highly, um, resonant and it's just full of orgone or, or prana or this, this quantum energy that helps the water to store that better as well. And going back to the three kinds of water that you mentioned, excuse me, the one that dehydrates us, then the one that kind of hydrates, and then obviously the third one was the best. How can we, um, is there a way to make the water that comes through our tap that kind of water? Like I know a little bit about the vortexing and structuring, but can you enlighten us on that? Definitely. Well, first I would recommend, even before we start addressing our tap water, is I most highly recommend that people really reestablish that primal connection with their natural local springs, because I think most people don't realize how how common they are, how accessible they are, or the difference that it makes to your whole state of being when you start drinking that water, um, not only physically and, and in terms of your health, but also spiritually, just to have that pilgrimage, to take that pilgrimage where life is being born from the, from the aquifers, which are the womb of Mother Earth, and the journey that this water makes when rising to the surface is, it really creates an a magical, a magical water. Just being around that water, there are more negative ions in the air. There's ormus that you're breathing in and that you're drinking. These are um, orbitally ar- rearranged monatomic elements that are literally vibrating in states of pure light. A lot of this we can replicate at home, and that's a big part of what I teach: is how to mimic. Um, the hydrological cycle and how to mimic spring water from the water that we have at home. But my best recommendation for people is to skip the need for that entirely and go straight to the source because we don't want to have these surrogate stand-ins between ourselves and mother nature. You know, if you, the water that you drink becomes your blood within five minutes of drinking it. So if you're paying 
the city government for tap water, you're paying the government for your bloodstream. If you're paying a corporation for bottled water, you're paying a corporation for your bloodstream. And I think it's really time that we take back that sovereignty and that self-responsibility over the sanctity of our own blood, our own sanguine nature, and make our blood of the blood of Mother Earth. So done preaching about that (laughs) (laughs) no that was very empowering yeah because um i know there's a website that you can look up the local springs near you and i've done it Mm -hmm. yes and we'll be sure to link it in the show notes um and i've looked it up and i do have some springs nearby but when i i started like thinking of going to the springs i kind of got a little scared and i'm like how do i know if this water is going to be Uh, polluted if it's safe you know like all of those questions arose and then I didn't go to the springs so hearing you say that it makes me want to actually go forth and go to the springs yes yes spring water is some of the most pristine not only some of the most pristine water on the planet but it's also in some ways the most pristine thing we will ever come into contact with as human beings. I mean, if you think about it, you know, we're living in in a post-nuclear world where there are there's been nuclear fallout everywhere. If you take a sample of your beautiful lovely blue sweaters right now or even a plug of polar bear fat up in the North Pole, you're going to find uh, radioactive fallout in there. But there are some springs where the water has been underground for thousands of years. Usually it's underground for at least hundreds of years. That means before the Industrial Revolution, before the onset of pollution. And it does depend on the depth of the aquifer and some other factors. But I know countless people who have been drinking nothing but spring water for decades. And they're some of the most vibrant, vital people that I've ever met. And, you know, when you think about it, the earth is the most perfectly formed Uh, filter. So you have these layers of carbon deposits. Well, what are the filters that we use for, that most people use for tap water? It's just little carbon block filters, right? And that doesn't take a lot out, but it does make some difference. So you've got, you know, however many um, yards or meters of of, um, carbon formations, and then you have the clay, and we know that clay detoxifies things when the water moves through the clay deposits. That's why we use clay masks on our face for detoxification. That's why geophagy is, or eating clay can be such a detoxifying practice, like bentonite clay, for example. And then the water is filtered through the soil where it also picks up on beneficial um, a beneficial microbiome so that the water itself actually becomes a probiotic for your body, helping to create a really balanced and robust um, microflora and microbiotic profile in your gut, which is massively important for our um, serotonin production and the production of these different neurotransmitters. It also picks up on electrolytes and minerals that give the water an ionic charge and the capacity to conduct electricity. It's, It's amazing to me that we are among one of the first generations in all of human history. I mean, humans have been homo sapiens for around 200,000 years. And even before we were homo sapiens, we were still drinking spring water. Our grandparents, most places in the world, were only one or two generations separated from people harvesting their water from springs. And yet most of the people that you talk to nowadays, it's like there's such a disconnection between ourselves and the earth that we trust tap water full of chemicals more than we trust water that's been created by our mother that all of our ancestors have drunk. So if I'm here to do anything on this planet, it's to help reestablish that trust and that reciprocal relationship with 
with the blood of Mother Earth because our bodies are drops of water that we are just borrowing from the watershed. We get to borrow this water for maybe 100 years, but as soon as we're done with it, it goes right back into the watershed again. And the more that we can weave our own lives and our own incarnations with the watershed, with the ecosystem where we live, the more grounded and present we are because think about it if you're making your blood from um you know fiji or evian or um or the alps or all of these different uh, places poland springs wherever we import all of this water from that most people drink our body water is very um disconnected and sort of um scattered and also a lot of us don't really feel a sense of presence and connection and groundedness in the place where we live, rootedness here and now. Um, there's just a, a lot of sense of being spread thin and a lot of people. And, you know, what we do to water, we do to ourselves. Our, our psychology and our physiology is enormously dependent on the quality and the source of the water that we drink. Wow. Yeah. So and beautiful. one more question about the spring water. <laughs> um, <laughs> because I'm really, I'm going to go. So I want to know um, if you do go source your own water from the local springs, do you personally filter it when you get home and do you structure it? Do you add anything to it? Do you enhance it energetically or do you just drink it as it is? You can drink it straight as it is. Absolutely. You can drink it straight from the earth and that's when it has the most vivacity. The highest quality springs are going to be the ones that are at the highest elevation. So like mountaintop springs, for example, just have a ton of ormus. They're enormously clean. You do want to use like a little bit of common sense um, in terms of you wouldn't want to drink from a spring that's right in the middle of a cow field, for example. Um, and there's a site called fracktracker.org where you can see if there's been any fracking of the aquifers in your area. But again, for the most part, it's enormously clean. If you have any serious concerns, if you have major concerns for some reason, um, I do sell water tests on my site so you can test and, and see what the levels are. But personally, I just bring it home and, and drink it straight. Now, again, depending on the conditions that you keep the water in, it can lose its structure over time. So if you live relatively far from a spring and you can only go once a month and fill up enough five-gallon carboys to last all month, then, you know, three, four weeks in, the water will, will have lost some of its vitality. And I tend to be a total nerd when it comes to having all of the, uh, you know, bougie water alchemy tools and tech and that kind of thing. So I love playing with it. I love creating different elixirs um, out of water for different reasons at different times. So I do like to play with my water and bring it back to life, but it's not entirely necessary. If you're drinking fresh spring water, it'll stay fresh for quite a while. Okay, cool. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and being that the water has journeyed so far, some waters, like you said, are underneath ground for thousands of years prior to reaching the surface. So they've been here existing with the land and the people on the land for such a long time. Would you say that there is an emotional intelligence to that water or to water in general? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I think water is our emotional intelligence. I think water is the physical manifestation of the collective consciousness, of the collective subconscious. And 
physically within our bodies, it's the carrier of our subconscious and our memories. The water within us remembers everything, just like our subconscious mind remembers everything, whether or not we have conscious access to it. Um, But on a collective level, you know, water really becomes our fate. That's something that um, Victor Schauberger spoke a lot about. And so another thing that the ancients used to speak about is the fact that water is the vessel of consciousness and it is the sensory organ of the universe. So water is the way that consciousness sees and hears and tastes and smells and feels and remembers everything. So, you know, in the spiritual community, you often hear that God created the universe for the joy of experiencing itself. Well, how does God experience creation? It experiences through water. Water is enormously perceptive to every subtle stimuli. It's picking up on everything. There have been studies showing that water in nature, when exposed to the sky, is actually even imprinting upon every single movement of the planetary bodies. And there are theories that this might be why we as human beings are so um, amenable to astrology, because the water in our bodies is actually responding to the movement of the stars and the planets. Water also responds to auditory stimuli. You can notice a difference if water has heard music or heard the sounds of birds in the environment, for example. Water is enormously sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies, um, to visual frequencies. There was a researcher named Dr. Korokov, however, who showed that the thing that water imprints on more than anything else, the thing that she's most sensitive to is human emotion and that our emotional states have the biggest impact on water. And the reason why, or one of the reasons why water is able to imprint and store all of this information is because water itself, especially when it's structured, so the ability to imprint information is directly proportional to the strength of the hydrogen bonds. The more structured the water the more impressionable she is because each cluster of water molecules has at minimum 440,000 panels on it. That's just the smallest that we've measured. If we had more high powered equipment, we would see that each of those panels is further subdivided into smaller panels and it's actually fractal in, in nature and that there's really an infinite number of panels per water cluster. However, um, even just playing it safe and saying, okay, each water, each cluster of water molecules has 440,000 panels on it. Each one of those panels is responsible for sensing, storing, and transmitting vibration, information, and frequency about its environment. So it can sense that information. In other words, when you taste water, it is tasting you. When you see water, it is seeing you. When you hold the water in your hands, it is feeling you. Um, And then it also... Um, So it receives, it stores, it amplifies. So a water that is in a crystalline phase, just like a quartz crystal, for example, can amplify a certain frequency. You know, it's one of the reasons why we use quartz and watches and computers, because they act as um, stabilizing resonators and oscillators, and they can amplify frequencies. Water in its crystalline phase is also capable of that as well. And transmitting those frequencies, which is one of the reasons why water has been used in prayer and ceremonial practices cross-culturally, not only in every single major religion, but in all the indigenous practices as well. You know, there's hardly any ceremony you will ever find that 
from uh, birth rituals all the way to death and cremation rituals. They all involve water in some way because there's this um, deep spiritual recognition that water is the mediator between the human and the heavenly, that it acts as this um, point of contact and point of communication between the manifest and the unmanifest realms. Um, you know, between the between the physical and the quantum. And so when you're sending a prayer, A, you're only able to send that prayer because your body is conducting, amplifying, and transmitting those frequencies because your body is 99% water. But then also when you pray with water and you pray into water, it's storing and amplifying and transmitting that into the etheric field. Water has a, a really beautiful relationship with the etheric field. And with light energy as well, you know, we tend to think of water as being just H2O, but really that's just the one part matter that is in water. For every one part matter, the H2O, there are a trillion parts photons, a trillion parts photons to one part matter. So water is literally liquid light. Photons are, are light particles and they are in constant interface between the physical and the non-physical. I mean, is it a particle? Is it a wave? Is it a, is it a particle? Is it a wave? These photons are always transitioning in between the two and water is literally a trillion parts photons. So when the spiritual masters talk about, you know, being the light and channeling the light and tap into the light and go towards the light and all of that, it's really the capacity of our body water to resonate and to channel light that allows us to be able to tap into those spiritual and emotional states. This can be mind blowing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like hearing all this information and the question that keeps coming to my mind as I listen to you speak is if water is so essential for us, you know, for all of creation, um, it's two questions. Like, how can we have allowed our waters to become polluted, you know, like not care for the waters how we should? And then also, how can we allow our bodies to become dehydrated and not care for our bodies by intaking the proper water that we should? Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. When it comes to the waters outside of us, and again, I'll say that there's no difference between the waters inside of us and the waters outside of us. What we do to water, we do to ourselves. But when it comes to, you know, the, the global scale, I'm so glad you're asking this because it's, it's one of the most important things I feel for people to be looking at right now because we are, right now, we are at the crux of a change that will ripple into every single future generation which is, is water a right? Is it a human right? Or is it just a need? And if it is a need only, then it can be commodified, it can be capitalized upon, and the scarcer it becomes, the more profitable it is. And I say we're at the crux of this issue right now because there, the, right now is when the legislation is being decided. However, water has been commodified for around the past 30 years or so at increasing rates. In fact, the most dangerous cartels in the world are actually the global water cartels. They're some of the most powerful, influential, rich people on the planet. Suez, uh, Bechtel, Veolia, RWE Thames, they've basically bought up the rights to water all around the world, and they own almost all the water in the world right now. This is why there's a global apartheid between the global north, which is water rich, 
for the most part. We don't even recognize the drought that's happening in the global south where people are so desperate that one out of three people on the planet right now doesn't have access to clean water. In most of the megacities, the mega metropolises, the, the farms outside of those cities, they have to water their crops with raw sewage because water is so scarce. There are places in the world where people pay 75% of their monthly income just for water. And this is not because of drought and desertification being a factor of climate change whatsoever. This is a factor directly of water privatization. Well, because when you shocking. Mm-hmm, it's shocking and, and very few people are, are aware of it. But it makes sense because, again, you know, what we do to water, we do to ourselves. And and water is the manifest form of the collective unconscious. And so when you start taking the source of life and making it into a source of profit, then you create conditions of scarcity, even under nature's, you know, natural conditions of abundance. Because when we learn from water, when we respect her as a living entity and respect her needs, she teaches us abundance. She teaches us prosperity. She teaches us decentralization and egalitarian access to resources. All we have to do is look at the way that water flows through watersheds and through ecosystems. And we learn the way that prosperity is naturally meant to flow on this planet. But because blue gold has become more valuable than black gold, more valuable than gold gold, we're creating this this scarcity and we're creating this um, this really warped and demented relationship with prosperity and with life itself. Wow. <laughs> it's just, it's such a big concept to really digest and it's really that we're having this conversation and that there's um, people who are dedicated to this work, such as yourself, because this message I feel for the first time is becoming more, um, more mainstream in, in a way that I've never seen before, but it's also because I'm new myself to this world. Um, so it's nice to see that um, that's coming to light. And in speaking to the hydration that um, many people lack, what would you say is the first steps or the first signs of a lack of hydration? Um, because I feel that um, it's not common, I would say. The awareness of the dehydration. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, dehydration itself is so common that basically 100% of the population has it. According to Dr. Zach Bush, 100% of people are chronically dehydrated. Um, the most conservative estimates say 75%, but if you look at, if you speak to the doctors who are actually studying phase angle and hydration levels, they all say it's right around 100%. And this is because we're basically living in, um, we're just living lifestyles that are enormously dehydrating. It's partially because we think that just drinking more water is going to hydrate us because that's what makes sense, right? But like we spoke about before, a lot of water is dehydrating. But it's also because a well-rounded hydration strategy doesn't even have that much to do with the water that you drink. And this is one of the things that I coach people through in um, one-on-one hydration consultations is creating a really well-rounded hydration strategy. Um, And I have an e-course called Navigating the Waters that teaches people how to take swag water and turn it into living crystalline spring water right at home. 
So it's really um, more lifestyle factors than anything else. You know, we, for example, spend a lot of time, pretty much all of us spend a lot of time around electromagnetic fields, which actually short out the electrical current at the cell membrane. And if you're in the strong, uh, the presence of strong man-made EMFs, your body can't really absorb hydration very well, no matter how much you drink. How much you drink is just irrigation, but hydration is how much you absorb. So we want to be priming our bodies to be able to absorb and retain hydration, which has a lot to do with the health of our cell membranes, which we can bolster through certain dietary habits. It has a lot to do with how much metabolic water our cells are producing. So we don't only drink and, and consume water, but our cells also produce deuterium-depleted metabolic water under the right conditions as well. We literally have springs inside of us. We have springs inside of our cells. Um, it also has a lot to do with movement. Believe it or not, movement is a huge factor in hydration because your body has all of these hydraulic networks within it. And hydraulic just means movement by water. So we know about our circulatory system, of course. We all know about our, our blood vessels, our veins, our arteries, and that we have a heart that is pumping the blood. I mean, technically it's not a pump. It's actually a vortex. So the heart actually vortexes the blood, which gives it a spin. And then you have these spiral striations on the inside of the veins. And it's only because the water is vortexing and spinning, the blood is vortexing and spinning, that it stays so vibrant and vital and structured and charged and is able to, you know, even come up your legs against the force of gravity. It's this, this beauty of the spiral motion. But then you also have other hydrological systems in your body that don't have a, a pump like the heart to get it moving. The only way it moves is when you move. So for example, your lymphatic fluid, um, your lymph, you have three times more lymph than blood in your body. You have this vast ocean of lymphatic fluid and it's basically your body's cleaning and detoxification system. It's the way you're internally showering all the time. But because most of us are so stagnant, we're literally seeping in our own sewage internally, which leads to all kinds of inflammation, acidification, chronic pain, uh, all these things. So, so hydration has a lot to do with how much your lymphatic fluid is able to move and transition through its phases as well. And then you also have your fascia and your fascia is 80% water and 20% proteins. And it's literally this, um, irrigation network that delivers little droplets of perfectly structured water to each and every one of your cells in this this beautiful um, gelatinous web it's just gorgeous to, to watch it hydrate your cells if you if you ever get the chance to see a video of it it's really cool um but yeah it's another thing that only moves when we move and so a lot of times because we sit stagnant so often that fascia will start to dry out, it'll start to get brittle, it'll start to clump up and form knots. And there's also a direct correlation between our emotional state and um, the quality of our fascia. It's one of the primary places in the body where our subconscious mind and our emotional state uh, takes the form of water and vice versa. Because you know, if you have a massive emotional trauma that happens in your life, a lot of times that'll get stored in dried out, uh, coagulated fascial clumps. Or if you have a physical trauma, if you get into a, an accident or something like that, again, the fascia will dry out in those areas and you'll store emotional traumas in certain places in the body that become dry, right? Um, 
so yeah, hydration has a lot more to do with, with how much we drink. It's really a whole lifestyle approach. It's a whole dietary approach. And it's really important when we recognize that pretty much all disease has been traced back to dehydration at the root, at the core of it. You can trace it all back to dehydration. There was this incredible doctor named Dr. Backmangelich who devoted his entire career to this. Um, you know, whether we're talking about genetic abnormalities, well, that has a lot to do with the water that's surrounding the genes, whether we're talking about aging and telomere fraying, that again has a lot to do with the quality of uh, of water in our in our cells, our intracellular fluid, whether we're talking about diseases that come from acidification or um, or inflammation, these can all be traced back to dehydration. And developing a well-rounded hydration strategy is easily the the best bolster for our our overall longevity, our overall immune health even our mental health. So there's a, a psychologist and neurologist named Dr. Sarah Van Anroy in Colorado. And in all of her mental health patients, she looks at hydration first and foremost, and she treats them with hydration first and foremost. And again, not just drinking water, but a well-rounded hydration strategy. And she's found that even in conditions as severe as bipolar disorder, Hydration is at least as effective and sometimes more effective than pharmaceutical medications. Now, we know that even a 1% drop in hydration can cause cognitive storms, can cause mood disruptions, can cause foggy thinking, can cause an afternoon slump in your energy. It can cause you to just be a little bit more um, disconnected, a little bit more moody, a little bit more grumpy, like you don't think clearly, it's harder to, to focus and to concentrate. And that's just a 1% drop in, de in in hydration. Most people are far more dehydrated than 1% and the results are cumulative and gradual over time. We think that we're only thirsty when we feel the sensation of dry mouth or we feel the sensation of thirst, but that's actually one of the body's last resorts to communicate thirst. And it will communicate in other ways too, like uh, tiredness or an overactive appetite. If you find yourself eating a lot when you're not even really hungry, it's likely because your body is really just asking for the hydration that it's trying to get through the food. Um, again, yeah, tiredness, moodiness, a lot of these different uh, these different signals where your body is just in any way that it can trying to get energy, trying to get energy. And most of the energy in our body is hydroelectric energy. Our prana, our mana, our chi, our amount of, of vitality is directly proportional to our level of hydration. In fact, we even use the same tools to measure them. So the way that we measure hydration is with a tool called phase angle tests. And a phase angle test is basically a measure of how much electrical capacity your cell membranes have, how much electrical energy, how much mana, how much life force, how much chi your cell membranes can bring across because that tells you how much osmotic flow of water the cells can can bring in and out. The nourishing water coming into the cell and the, de the detoxifying water going out of the cell. So we measure your level of electrical current and the same as we measure your level of hydration. They're synonymous. Life force energy is hydration. Water is life and hydration is health. Yeah, and it makes me think, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I had heard in a podcast that you did, an interview, um, that aging is basically, you know, when the body's drying out, and 
then I started thinking, I'm like, okay, so if people before, you know, there was the myths of seeking out the fountain of youth and finding this fountain to keep us forever young, there must have been some correlation there. And then I started thinking, I'm like, okay, I made a connection. Like when I was younger and if I had a headache or if I had a stomach ache, my mom, she would always tell me, oh, drink a glass of water. Mm -hmm. Like that was going to be the cure for everything. So it's so nice to see it come full circle, how like our aging process, we can aid ourselves just by keeping our bodies properly hydrated and then taking it a step further. Like you said, 100% of the population is considered dehydrated. If we reverse that and we lowered that number, you know, I'm sure so many of these ailments and diseases would just be cured and there would be no need for the pharmaceutical medications that kind of poison us when they're trying to help us. So it's like water is really the answer for it all. It's true. Yeah. It's so true. The fountain of youth, there's a reason why it's not, you know a mushroom of youth or a, a forest of youth or something like that. All of our, all of our ancestors knew that, that youth and health really comes from water. And, and we can actually, if you want to go into some of the actual fountains of youth that have been found around the world, there are certain springs that have really unique properties that are literally miraculously healing. Wow. Wow. That's just, it's so <laughs> beautiful just because, everything we need is in nature and to just have that message be repeated in multiple ways is just so impactful because it's so simple but so many things have been um, put into practice that removes us from that simplicity and that access that we all have or should have. Um, Could you enlighten us a little bit in terms of the phases of the water and how they come to be and what is the most beneficial phase if there is any for sure. So water is really unique among all the elements in that it can, first of all, it's the only thing in the entire world on the planet that exists as a solid, a liquid, and a gas. And it's the only one of the elements, earth, air, fire, and water, that takes the form of all elements. So water takes the form of earth when it's solid, when it's in its ice phase. It takes the form of water, obviously, when it's in its fluid phase. It takes the form of air when it's in its gas or vapor phase. And it takes the form of fire when it's in its plasma phase. Most people are not familiar with plasma water, but it's incredible. It's actually, it can become what we call a flaser or a fluid laser, where you can put your hand near it and it's not hot at all but if you put something in it it acts like a laser and it'll literally burst through like a laser it will burn anything at thousands of degrees but it's just water it's plasma water it's incredible so um yeah so water takes all of these these forms and these phases there is something that's often called fourth phase water um which is what we've been referring to as structured water or crystalline water it's not technically a phase. So the fourth phase of water is technically plasma, but it's an allotrope. And the difference between a phase and an allotrope is basically the difference between, for example, coal, graphene, and a diamond. 
So coal, graphene, and diamonds are all just completely carbon. That's all they are. But the difference between them is that the carbon that is in coal is really random and chaotic and unstructured. The carbon that is in graphene has a bit more structure to it, and the carbon that is in a diamond is highly, highly structured, coherent, and in this organized, repeating molecular matrix. That's what makes it a crystal. And so an allotrope is just the arrangement of the constituent parts, the arrangement of the atoms, the arrangement of the molecules, etc. And so when we look at um, the, the quote-unquote fourth phase or the crystalline allotrope of water, we can see that it becomes more like this gel substance. Um, it has a lower surface tension, a higher viscosity, and again, it acts like a crystal in that it can, you know, restore, uh, it can store, receive, transmit, amplify, and transduce vibration, information, frequency, and light. And in every way, it acts just like a crystal does. Now, what's beautiful about this is this is really the bioactive or bioavailable form of water. So we say that water is life, but really structured water is life really living water is life. You know, if, if we were made of bulk water, which is the water most people are familiar with, we wouldn't be living. We would just be a puddle on the floor. But because we have this, we're made of this fourth allotrope, this gel phase of water, um, and every living being is, really. I mean, the plants are made of, of this fourth phase water. The animals are made of this fourth phase water. It's, it's really the fourth phase that gives it its capacity to channel uh, energy, light, frequency, and life. Wow, that makes a lot of sense too, in the same ways that adding crystals to the water enhance the water as well. Basically a liquid crystal. That's mm -hmm. pretty cool. Totally. And we're, we're, I mean, modern medicine is all based on treating us as though we're made of coal water mm -hmm. instead of made of diamond water. The way that you medically treat uh, you know, a living diamond would be a lot different than the way that you would medically treat living coal. But that's even when, you know, modern science bothers to, you know, pay attention to the water at all. Typically in, in uh, you know, biology, it's just assumed that water is, you know, kind of just a packing material, like a filler, like a, just something to wet the more essential molecules of life. And so out of the nine, out of the thousand, every thousand molecules, it takes that one molecule and says, okay, this is what's determining your cellular function and ignores the other 999 molecules, which is why we have the sickest society we have ever had in history, because it's, it's ignoring the solution and only focusing on the solvents. Yeah. And if somebody listening to this episode is um, experiencing some kind of ailment, how would you recommend that they can use or, you know, work with water to heal themselves? Mm -hmm. Well, for legal reasons, I recommend that you go and speak to your healthcare provider and healthcare practitioner and nothing that I say is medical advice and it's not intended to diagnose or treat anything. And even though all of our ancestors and every indigenous wisdom keeper will tell you that water is nature's primary medicine, I can't legally tell you that it is medicine. Um, but I will say I have personally experienced and witnessed enormous medicinal results and medicinal benefits and healings from water. Um, and 
Yeah, I think that it comes down to really addressing your hydration as an overall approach. Hydration not just being the irrigation of how much you drink, but the structure of the water in your body, the production of metabolic water, the isotopic ratio, which means how much deuterium versus proteum is in the water. But to simplify it even more so, what we want to do is mimic nature or get as close as we can to nature because nature creates perfect water. So, for example, um, you know, it took me years to actually find a water filter that I could recommend to people because just nothing impressed me. Like it might take stuff out of the water. It might uh, structure the water a little bit. It might, you know, do one or two steps of, of the process. The process that I teach people in my Navigating the Waters e-course is filter, structure, balance, bless, free, and lifestyle. So those are like the six steps. And, um, and there's one filter that I highly recommend for people. It's the only thing that I found. It does five of those six steps for you because it, well, it does four of those six steps for you because the other two you have to do yourself. Um, and that's called the spring aqua and you can find that on my website and you can use the coupon code water is life for that. It's incredible. It even suffuses the water with molecular hydrogen, which the more hydrogen is in your water, the more hydrating it is. Hydrogen is a key in hydration. And, uh, you know, there was a Nobel prize winner, Dr. Albert St. Georgi, who actually said that hydrogen itself is the fuel of life. It's how our bodies produce ATP and produce energy. And, um, so I would recommend, Looking into that, if you can, if, you, if you're ready to make a big investment in your hydration. But um, otherwise, there are a lot of things that you can do just right at home. Like, for example, vortexing your water, getting a high-quality flow form for your water, even just adding minerals and electrolytes back to your water. You know, uh, the doctor that I mentioned before, Dr. Batman Gellich, who was really one of the pioneers in hydration-based biology and hydration-based medicine, he treated all of his patients with just a very, very simple um, electrolyte-rich water solution. And so I would recommend looking into Soleil, looking into his work, booking a one-on-one -on -one consultation with me. I can help you um, to craft something that is really personalized because everyone's approach is going to be different. It really just depends on, you know, what you need, where you're at, what your specific health concerns are. There's not really a lot of blanket statements that I can give um, that are kind of a one-size-fits-all one for, for it, unfortunately, but other than just mimic nature. You know, yeah. mimic the hydrological cycle as much as you can. That makes a lot of sense that it's not like a one step for everybody, um, that there takes personalization in it. And earlier you had mentioned um, phase angle in terms of like a test for, from what I understood, it's like to see your hydration level. Can you explain, like, is that something that somebody can go somewhere and get? Like, how does one go about that? Yeah, so you could reach out to local clinics in your area and see if they offer the test. It's a super simple test. They just hook a little something up to your finger and it just passes an electrical current through. And then based on how quick the electrical current gets back to the machine, it's able to somehow tell how well your cell, cell membranes are able to, to uh, bring across cellular voltage and osmotic flow of water. Okay, great. Thank you. So the quicker it, it's able to translate that message basically means the better the hydration is within the cells? I'm not sure if it's how quick it is or just the, the quality of the, the frequency once it gets back, if the, if the frequency okay. has been changed or if it's, I'm not exactly sure technically how it works. That's a good okay. question. Okay. And um, for some time, I feel that um, what was very popular was alkaline water, high pH water, 
could you share with us your thoughts on um, alkaline water and alkalinity? For sure. Yeah, I have actually a whole blog article on this that goes really in-depth if people want to, to get super geeky about the science of it. But suffice it to say that it really just depends on what makes the water alkaline. And again, it's a case where we just want to mimic nature. So in nature, water is pretty much always relatively neutral really neutral. And in fact, your body water is relatively neutral as well. Your blood is meant to stay right around uh, 7 pH, which is pretty much exactly neutral. And it works really hard to keep your your blood perfectly neutral, right? It's, It's important for your health. And some parts of our body are designed to be really acidic, like um, you have hydrochloric acid in your stomach, for example. You have hyd- um, uh, acidophilus, which is an acid-loving bacteria. So your digestive tract needs to stay really acidic for your health. And so it's important that we don't shock the body with really highly alkaline water. And if we do, the body has a lot of self-protective measures in place to make sure that it maintains um, a balanced pH. So in nature, the only times you see high pH water is in the presence of certain minerals, certain um, really alkaline minerals, and almost always those minerals are buffered. And they're buffered with something like a bicarbonate, which makes them easier for your body to assimilate, etc. So super healthy if you find like mineral rich alkaline water in nature, that's great. Feel free to drink it. It's enormously healing. However, what most people are doing is they're using alkalizing ionizers, which actually electrocute the water. So it's a process called electrolysis. And again, what we do to water, we do to ourselves. I do not recommend people electrocute their water. That's not what nature does. That's not how nature creates alkalinity. Um, And it's not even how nature prefers to create ionization. Again, the more electrolytes are in the water, the more ionic electrical capacity it has. Whereas if you create ionization through electrocuting the water or through electrolysis, it creates this really imbalanced water. So what a lot of the proponents of uh, things like Kangen machines or these other alkalizing ionizers, they say that because the water has a high um, electrical capacity, that that equates to it having a high level of structure. However, there are a ton of researchers who have come out and said that that just isn't true at all. And of course, it doesn't even make sense at all because the whole process of electrolysis, the way that it, it creates more hydrogen in the water is it separates the OH and the H. So water is H2O and electrolysis breaks it apart. Well, structure is actually based on the bonding of the hydrogen. So the stronger the hydrogen bonds, the stronger the crystalline matrix. If you're bursting apart the hydrogens, that water cannot be structured. However, it can have a high voltage, a high high electrical charge. Structured water also has a high electrical charge, but that doesn't mean that all water that has a high electrical charge is automatically structured. So what they're saying is our water is crystalline structured because look at its charge, whereas I'm saying correlation is not causation. Now, There are two reasons why people who start drinking this water in the short term have really great health benefits from it. One is if you spend $6,000 on a machine, you better believe you're going to be drinking a lot more water. And that alone is enormously healing, but also because of the level of hydrogen that's in it. And again, like we said earlier, hydrogen is the fuel of life. The more hydrogen in your water, the better. 
but there are much better ways of getting hydrogen in your water without ionization. So you can get um, H2 tabs, for example. I have them on my website, or you can you can find them um, other places online. They're basically just these magnesium tablets that you dissolve into your water, and it releases an enormous amount of hydrogen in there, which you can do with structured water. You don't have to electrocute the water to get that. There were these two researchers, one Dr. Hidemitsu Hayashi, and I forget the other one's name, or Hidemitsu Hayashi, rather, and um, and they were involved in studying Kangen back in the very beginning of it. And they were huge proponents and they were doing all this research. And it's research that a lot of uh, Kangen salespeople still quote even to this day. They'll say, oh, look at this study, look at that study. But if you look at the career of these two researchers, what they found was that if they took alkaline water alone, like, for example, water that just had baking soda dissolved into it, well, that's a highly alkaline water, but it's not going to have the healing benefits that this other water would have. Whereas if you take this other water, this this Kangen water, and you remove the hydrogen from it, then it's not going to have the healing benefits. So the healing benefits don't come at all from the pH. They come from the amount of hydrogen that's in there. So these researchers, they actually switched their careers entirely. They stopped studying Kangen water. They stopped studying um, ionized water, and they started just studying hydrogen water instead and pouring their efforts into that. So I'm a huge proponent of, of mineral-rich buffered alkaline water as is found in nature and I'm a huge proponent of molecular hydrogen enriched water however I do not recommend people drink this alkaline ionized water yeah it's like you said um you know we we want to get the goal should be getting close as close to what nature provides and a machine isn't nature that's not natural um if we added because you said those h2 tablets it's it's like a dissolved uh, magnesium. If you just add magnesium to the water, does that help increase the hydrogen in the water? There are a lot of different kinds of magnesium out there. There's okay. tons of different, uh, basically allotropes, for lack of a better word, than different kinds. So um, this this particular uh, kind of magnesium is very specific. And you'll know whether or not it's releasing hydrogen in the water because you'll see the bubbles coming up. The water gets super bubbly. Okay. okay. Good to know. Great. And what was, for your experience, when you first started transitioning into structured water and mineral-rich water, what was your um, your first um, physical experience or emotional experience with the effects of transitioning into um, better water? Mm. Well, for me personally, it was the level of um, mental clarity and presence that I had and my emotional states just becoming much more calm and clear. Um, I was in a relationship at the time where we had terrible communication skills. We just couldn't ever get on the same page with each other. It was like we would try to communicate, but there was just some kind of disconnect where we just couldn't understand each other. And there was just this emotional charge and all of that. And we both started harvesting uh, raw wild spring water and drinking that. And it was like suddenly we could communicate. Suddenly there was clarity between us, as clear as the water we were drinking. Suddenly we could understand each other. And there wasn't this like these emotional fluctuations, like an emotional roller coaster. It was just like calm, placid, just it just made life much easier on a lot of levels. And I had better uh, better concentration, better um, uh, recall and learning. Um, 
Yeah, I, I would say it was subtle and it was cumulative, but it was definitely noticeable. And would you say with your experiences with your clients and those that you've um, shared um, your work with, has there been any um, feedback in relations to how this has impacted sleep or the dream state? Sleep and the dream state. That's interesting. I don't think I've spoken to any of my clients yet specifically about their dreaming. Obviously, hydration does have a big impact on on the quality of your rest and your sleep, but I haven't really asked them about their dream states. However, I think it's really interesting, at least theoretically, the relationship between water and dreaming, because our cerebral spinal fluid, which is one of the most magical and just surreal uh, waterways and hydrological systems in our body, like if you want to go really into like the mysticism and the symbolism, there are whole religious texts that are are basically written as allegories for the journey that your cerebral spinal fluid makes from your root to your crown every single day. I mean, it goes deep. Um, If anyone's curious to look into that, you can read about the the rising of the chrism. Um, But basically, your cerebral spinal fluid um, moves in a vortex, just like the Ida and the Pingala and the Shashumna in the center, the same way that your Kundalini rises, your spinal column, which in German is spiral column and vertebrae is vortices. So you have this constant spiraling that happens. You have two spirals that go around your spinal column, like the Ida and the Pingala, and then you have a central column in the middle of your of your vertebrae as well that channels CSF up there that's like the Shashumna. And so the CSF moves all the way up in about 12 hours and along the way it gets patterned by the electrical signals of your seven main nerve plexes which correspond exactly to the seven main chakras and it gets patterned magnetically and hormonally by your seven main endocrine glands which are the other component of your your seven main chakras so it gets this electro electromagnetic patterning that basically is is the water equivalent of your reality in liquid form. And then it culminates in the central ventricle in the center of your brain. And um, it looks just like a snake head, like just like the top of these, these Kundalini snakes that the yogis speak about. And the central ventricle is basically a lake that's in the middle of your brain. And the CSF, which again is only one molecule different from seawater, it's highly conductive and it's also piezoelectric. So um, it lets off light energy, especially when when there's any kind of squeezing, which is why in yoga we pull the bandhas and we, we squeeze and we retain this, um, this fluid in the spine in different ways. And so it's letting off light all the time inside of this lake in your in your brain. It's literally a lake of light. It is emitting light in the center of your brain. Well, you know, for centuries, people have wondered, why is it that the pineal gland has photoreceptors? Why is the pineal gland, which is inside of the brain, why can it pick up on light in the same way that our eyes can? It's because it sits at the very front of this lake. And right in the right in the back of the lake is your pituitary gland. So your pineal and your pituitary gland, which are the center of your spiritual awareness, and your pineal has photoreceptors. They're sitting in this lake that's emitting light, and it also has um, tides. It has waves, just like the ocean has. So it's very oceanic in nature. And there are theories that when we go into the dream state or we go, because, you know, your pineal gland is what produces melatonin. It's what pr- produces dimethyltryptamine, um, all of these 
these things that give us the ability to sleep and to dream and to have uh, visualizations and even imagination. And even when we take medicine journeys and, and we have hallucinations, all of this is taking place in the internal sea of light in our in our central ventricle. It's pretty magical. It's pretty magical stuff. Yeah. The Kogi tribe of Colombia, who are one of the indigenous people that have one of the most intact and and um, profoundly detailed relationships with water. I mean, that could be a whole podcast just on its own. But one of the things that they say is that water is basically a hologram of reality and, and water contains a map of reality, all worlds of reality from the physical reality that we think of as, you know, the 3D world that, that we consider to be the world to um, to dreaming states, to visionary states, to the non-physical world and the etheric realms and the astral planes and every single dimension is held within this hologram, this map that water contains. Wow, that's truly fascinating and so profound. Yeah, it sounds like a whole other world to dive into. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It really speaks to that we really are just scratching the surface of the journey of water. Mm -hmm. And how much there is out there to discover, you know, like I'm sure there's things that people haven't even thought about yet. But I have a question because you mentioned the spinal fluid being uh, very similar to seawater. And you mentioned Soleil earlier. Do you, is there a correlation or like a health benefit for us in taking salt water like in the form of Soleil, would you recommend that? And like, if you could speak a little bit about the correlation to salt and water, since that's in our spinal fluid. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I highly recommend people take Soleil. There's a book called Water and Salt, The Essence of Life. I recommend people read to learn more about Soleil and and how it works. Um, But basically, you know, how was life created in the primordial soup to begin with? Supposedly, it was just water and salt and electromagnetic charge forces. And in fact, there was this researcher, um, it wasn't Craig Venter, it was not Stanley Myers. Oh, it's gonna drive me crazy until I think of his name. Anyway, there was there was this one researcher. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll send it to you and you can put it in the show notes. Okay. Um, but anyway, he basically proved that um, that salt, water, and light are what create life. And he was able to actually create life in a laboratory under certain conditions. It started gathering amino acids and and gathering the the conditions for life. And that's how our body generates life. It's not like life was one creative event that happened billions of years ago. It's like life is constantly being created and being generated through the interaction of water, salt, and light within our own bodies. And it's not only your cerebral spinal fluid that's enormously similar to seawater, but basically your entire body, your blood plasma has basically the exact same mineral ratios and mineral profile as seawater back in the Cambrian period. So the Cambrian period was when vertebrates first left the ocean, when our ancestors, if you subscribe to uh, evolution, when our ancestors first left the water and started to walk on land, the only way that they were able to walk on land was by carrying the ocean within them, carrying the ocean inside of themselves. And so our blood is still exactly like the ocean was back at that time, the same ratios of, uh, you know, all of the different minerals and ions, but the only difference being our blood 
has a bit more protein anions than seawater. But that's really the only difference. If you look at the chart, it's astounding, which is one of the reasons why um, in addition to Soleil or instead of Soleil, one of my highest recommendations for people is to take Kental Marine Plasma, QMP. It's a, it's a seawater solution that is harvested from this annual vortex, this giant plankton bloom that happens in the middle of the ocean that swirls together nutrients from the sea floor and then rises them to the surface. And it not only has the entire periodic table of elements, RNA, DNA, vitamins, fatty acids, organic acids, it contains all of the genetic information arcing back to the primordial soup. All of the genetic information. Actually, now that I'm recalling Craig Venter, uh, I mentioned his name before. He was actually studying genetics and marine life. Um, but it's interesting because they found in just two years of studying genetics and marine life, they found more genes in the ocean. It, it was something like a hundred times more genes than they ever realized existed. I mean, wow. the, the ocean <laughs> is literally the blueprint of life and genetic information. And especially in these times when our genes are, you know, being attacked from every angle, taking something that can bolster our genetic health, like quintamarine plasma is really important. Um, Rene Canton, who was the guy who developed, well, he didn't develop it, obviously the ocean developed it, but he is the one who sort of refined it into something that is pharmaceutical grade. So it was actually listed as a pharmaceutical in the physician's desk reference for many years until it threatened the, you know, its efficacy kind of threatened some pharmaceutical companies, but it is medicinal quality. And the clinics that he opened in Europe and Africa, he opened 69 free clinics and they treated people with a variety of ailments. They had success rates, curative rates over 90%. Name me anything else that can cure at a rate of 90%. Even things as serious as genetic abnormalities and genetic birth defects that Western medicine writes off as completely incurable because it worked down at that genetic level. It's really incredible. And, and you know, we were talking about some of the facets of hydration earlier being the structure of your body water, the isotopic composition of your body water, the hydroelectric capacity of your cell membranes, that all of these, you know, the production of metabolic water, all of these are facets of hydration. But one of the main and most important facets of hydration is how similar your blood plasma is to its oceanic profile because when that mineral profile starts to deviate when we start to have less magnesium or less sodium or less potassium or or when it's less oceanic in nature immediately we start to see the onset of different dehydration related disease states now of course i mean we can't take quantum marine plasma intravenously anymore which is how they were giving it at uh, at these clinics but even just taking it orally does make a big difference and again i have that um on my site for anyone who's interested i think i have a yeah i have a coupon code for that too if you use waters life you can get 10 percent off of that cool and is that something that you can take daily oh yeah definitely it's fascinating. It's so fascinating. Every time I hear what nature can do, like another mind blown moment. Um, and I had a question about the marine plasma. Oh, you said it happens only one time a year. So is that source, uh, sourced ethically? You know, like, is there some kind of scarcity? It's nature, so I'm sure it's in abundance. But just that was the question that came up. 
Yeah, so there are a few different brands. The only one that I personally recommend is Quinton Marine Plasma because of the level of ethics and, and the quality of sourcing and the way that it's created and the way that it's stored. And I just I have a lot of trust in that company specifically. Personally, I don't I don't know um, about other companies. I don't know about their sourcing. They might be also perfectly safe and perfectly fine and, and all of that, but I can only speak to the one that I know of, which is Canton, which is the original, and that one I can definitely stand behind ethically. Okay, great. And the consumption of the marine plasma, is that something that you do in the beginning of your day with a meal? Like, What does that look like in your everyday life? So it depends. It, de- it depends on, on your needs. I mean, it, there's no such thing as, you know, taking too much. So you can take a, a lot of it. But even if you just take one ampule per day, you can take it directly uh, in your mouth or you can dissolve it in water and then drink it in the water. Totally up to you. You can take it first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. That's how I like to do it personally because I just feel like it absorbs better. But you can take it at any time. Cool. And um, to touch a little bit about the energetics of water, you know, like some people bless their water, some people play a sound bowl around their water, some people put crystals in their water to kind of raise the vibration of the water. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations or tips or techniques that um, us and our listeners could use and incorporate in our lives? Yes. In fact, I have a whole section on my, my website that is just different water energizing tools. So, um, you know, we talked about water structure a lot um, and water that is in a formation can store information. So water that has a structure becomes more of a capacitator for energy. So when you're talking about these different techniques for energizing water, they're usually somewhat different, but very complementary to the techniques that structure. There are some techniques that do both, they structure and energize, and then there are some that just do one or the other. So energizing is really when we're patterning that matrix, we're programming that matrix with basically the software, for lack of a better word. So the structure forms the matrix, the, the hard drive, and then the energetic imprint is is the software that we put on. And in fact, Dr. Rustam Roy said that water is the world's most malleable computer. And it's true. It's like so far beyond artificial intelligence. It's, it's nature's intelligence in liquid form. So whatever you um, speak into your water or expose your water to is going to be what it puts into your body becomes a physical form of that thing, a physical form of that song, a physical form of that prayer, a physical form of that vibration. And um, there are a lot of ways that we can work with this. One way, and actually one of my favorite ways, is using something called a quantum block. Um, Again, I have those on my site. They're produced by a company called Leela Quantum, and they concentrate quantum energy into a small space. I'm usually a bigger fan of things that don't involve electrical energy. So, for example, magnets can do it, although you want to be careful with magnets because you want to make sure that they're asymmetrical magnets so they don't create too much pressure in the water. You want to make sure that it's balanced, north and south pole. So um, my recommendation for that is to get something like a vortex magnet energizer um, where you vortex the water through the magnets or get something like a carbon gene charger where you let the water charge overnight. That's a water that is so highly charged that you don't want to drink more than a shot glass or two of it for per day because wow. it is like pure energy. I mean, it's so <laughs> healing. It's incredible. And um, there's a story of this one woman who started drinking it and 
And um, she started crying right away. She started crying immediately. And she said, oh, my God, I haven't cried in years. I felt like my emotions were so stuck and so stagnant. I didn't know if I was capable of crying. She said, I'm not even sad right now. I'm just my body is finally releasing. She was drinking like two or three shot glasses per day. So (laughs) Um, you might not want to go into a healing crisis like that. But, yeah, the carbon gene charger is, is amazing for that. Um, there are so many options. Oh, my other favorite, another favorite, uh, another recent favorite rather was the Analemma wand. So that one structures and energizes and it's really incredible. It actually, um, is water. It took 14 years of research for this team of water, water researchers to develop this product and the water inside the wand has been maturing for an entire year. They mature a feminine water for a year and they mature a masculine water for a year. And then they blend the two together in an alchemy and they put it inside of a quartz crystal tube and it maintains its structure more effectively than almost anything else the state the structure is so stable that you can put this water even next to a 5g antenna or a wi-fi router and it's going to keep its structure now normally emf breaks down water more than anything else breaks down the structure and uh this analemma is just incredible in that way And then if you want to pattern your water very specifically with certain vibrational frequencies, like, for example, if you know that you need a lot of vitamin C, but maybe you don't want to take a lot of vitamin C, or you know that you need more magnesium, but if you take a lot of magnesium supplement, it makes you have to go to the bathroom. Or, um, you know, if you really want to get more Schumann resonance in your life because you don't get a chance to go out in nature very often, you want more uh, earth energy. You can take any vibration and pattern your water with it using something called an infoceutical device. Um, Again, you can find those on my shop. It creates what's called infopathic water, which is kind of like homeopathy, but it's, it's patterned with certain vibrational frequencies. So then the water becomes a vessel of that therapeutic essence. Okay, cool. And when you mentioned that last device, the wand that kind of takes masculine um, energy, water and feminine, do you believe that the water, like natural spring water has um, both masculine and feminine energy or more of one of the other? Or is it in balance? All water has both. It's just a matter of which is currently more expressed in the water. So for example, Um, You know, water that has a left spin is going to be more feminine. Water that has a right spin is going to be a little bit more masculine. If you have water that is exposed to the south pole of a magnet, it's going to be a little bit more feminine. The north pole of a magnet is going to be a little bit more masculine. Um, You know, ideally, we want a water that's pretty balanced, but there might be some times in your life where you prefer one or the other. It really just depends on what you need. So there are these researchers, for example, who were working with water magnetization and mice, and they fed one group of mice only south pole charged water. And those mice were really small and scrawny, but really, really clever, really intelligent. They they fed um, another group of mice North Pole magnetized water, and they were really dumb, but they were super strong and really big, right? And it's like, sometimes (laughs) we need more physical vitality, and sometimes we need more more. intellectual vitality and and mental vitality and one's not better than the other is we want to balance but there may be some times when one is better for us than the other so yeah yeah that speaks a lot to um like um 
what is needed in the t- in the moment in terms of like if there's like an imbalance going on within. So it's really cool to see it um, being shown in the physical with um, what you were just sharing. Um, and so thank you so much for all of the tips that you gave us too that are tangible, accessible action steps that we can take to really empower us and to go out there and continue researching ourselves and our own journey with the water, which is really important because, um, you know, information is only as good as it's able to be implemented in practice. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. And um, as we... Um, arrive closer to our closing, we like to ask all of our guests a few questions if you have a few minutes to answer them. Of course. So what does being feel and look like for you? I'm sorry, what does what feel like? What does being and what does being feel and look like for you? What does being feel and look like? Mm. I just being present, just being aware, just being tapped into the feel fluid nature of my body, just placing my awareness in my spine and feeling that constant pulsing connection to the crystalline energy of, of the earth and the moment. And yeah, I don't, I don't know that being is something that can really even be described except insofar as like the practices that I use to access it, but even the practices are not the thing itself. They just point to the thing. So it's Ooh, like I've, the Tao, right? The Tao that can be named is not the Tao. And interestingly, <laughs> the whole Tao Te Ching is written all as a symbolic allegory of how water represents the Tao and how we can learn what the Tao is through witnessing water. So what is being? What is the way? I don't know because it can't be named, but I know that water points to it and water teaches us about it. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because it's when you try to describe it, the words can almost take you away from the state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can give our audience one takeaway, what would it be? Oh, water is alive. Bring water back to life and it will bring you back to life in profound ways. We are not humans protecting water. We are water protecting water and water needs us. Water needs us to care for her just as much as we as bodies of water need to be cared for. Water needs us to listen to and honor her just as much as we as human beings need to be listened to and honored. Our rights are fundamentally entwined with her rights. Our health is fundamentally entwined with her health. You know, we say that, um, the world has a lot of problems right now and we need solutions. Well, what is a solution? It's a solvent that's dissolved in water. That's a solution. And water is the universal solvent. It can be the universal solvent to solve and dissolve all of the world's problems into very simple solutions. Yeah. Isabel, thank you so much for sharing space with us, for gracing us with all this information. It's been a wealth of knowledge to continue us on this journey and, and really just continue. And building a relationship that's one of my biggest takeaways from this uh, Mm -hmm. conversation is i want to see what i can do personally to kind of help water more with the state of this current times we're living in yeah communing with water Mm -hmm. expressing gratitude for the water not just consuming the water but really building that relationship like you said yeah that is the most important takeaway because that's what allows um the healthy relationship that's going to heal everyone and bring us closer to ourselves. That's what makes it sustainable is having that foundational relationship 
and understanding the importance of it. So thank you for shedding light on that. Yeah. And is there anything that you're currently working on that um, you like to share with us in the community that we can be looking out for? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, just thank you for having me on and thank you for giving me the space <laughs> to come share this. And thank you for the beautiful work that you guys are doing with Flow Space and, and giving a, a container for these kind of conversations and for people to get exposed to different kinds of things. You know, I browsed through some of your past episodes and they all look amazing. So thank you for your work. And I would love to offer your community a discount code on all of my courses. So any of the courses that I have at waterislife.teachable.com, if you enter the code flow space, you'll get 10% off of all of that. And um, I have several webinars and uh, courses up there. The one that I'm most excited about right now is called The Daily Drip. And it is basically for everyone who is like, oh my God, this is amazing, but it's so overwhelming. Where do I start? <laughs> like there's so many facets <laughs> of it. How do I implement it? And how do I learn about it in a way that's that's not just overwhelming? And so each month we have a different theme about water where we learn um, a different aspect of water. And as much as possible, we learn directly from water herself. And it's very interactive. So it's a journal and planner. There are journal prompts. There are creativity prompts. You learn a little bit, but then you really like commune with the water to learn more. There's a community around it where we share and chat. There's a, a book of the month. You know, uh, January was all about hydration. February was all about communion and communication. March is all about science. Next month, we'll be talking about water's role in creation and indigenous creation myths and stories. And the next month, we'll be talking about water in religion and then water in the ether. And so it's just a little fun little bite every day or a little sip every day, I guess. Um, and then there's also Navigating the Waters is the course that te teaches you how to transform tap water, bottled water into spring quality water. There's also um, Internal Oceans, which I originally created for nutritionists and healthcare practitioners and uh, dietitians and nurses and anyone in the healthcare field to understand the hydrology of our body and how the hydrological cycles inside of us exactly mirror the hydrological cycles in nature and how we can cultivate deeper intracellular hydration. So navigating the waters is drinking water and then internal oceans is, is internal water. Um, and then, like I said, one-on-one -on -one hydration consultations. And then all of the tools are available for sale at waterslife.shop. And I think that's everything. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm looking forward to myself looking at these courses. I'm really interested and intrigued. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much for the code, for the community. We really appreciate it. It's really great that the importance of bringing it to the accessibility of others is really there because it's really important to spread the word and really clever name um the daily drip that's really cool oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks again guys for having me on i hope you enjoy the rest of your day and thanks to everyone who's been listening thank you same to you take care many blessings bye thank you for listening continue flowing in your own space by simply being if this resonated with you and you feel called, please be sure to follow us, like, and share. Until next time, wherever you go, give yourself space, space to, to flow. flow. <laughs> Peace Peace out, family. family. <laughs>